0: If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter one. You can follow along, and we're actually going to spend most of our time in Acts chapter two. All right, but we're going to start in Acts chapter one. Last week we started a new series that we are calling the Not So New Way. All right, Uh, when Jesus was crucified and then rose from the grave, it, it was more than just a single miracle. Okay, it had changed the entire world. His resurrection signified the start of a new way of living and really a new world that was available to us. All right, and a world where we could begin to move towards the creation that he originally intended. All right, like when he first started all of this, he had this intention of what what this beautiful, amazing creation would be. But then very quickly, we kind of screwed that up. And his plan ever since then has really been actually moving back towards that. All right. Uh, but it requires Jesus' followers to actively be part of bringing this new world. All right. So when Jesus ascended to be with the Father, it was up to his followers to lead the way in this new world. Uh, and last week, I kind of ended with saying that, that Jesus had been instructing them, he had been explaining to them, and modeling for them how to live this new life. Uh, but even after all of that, it wasn't enough. Because when it came time for Jesus to leave, they still didn't understand what was supposed to happen. Right? Like, that was last week. This big thing, one of the biggest moments in the world. And Jesus is getting ready to go, and he's like, alright, go and do it. And they're kind of like, do what now? You know, is it really what they said was, well, when are you going to restore our kingdom? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He's like, are you kidding me? That's not what this was about. And and so it just was this crazy moment. So it wasn't enough to have this external influence from God. That wasn't enough. They needed an internal influence. So, we're going to continue in the book of Acts and looking at what happened in the wake of the resurrection and uh, this new world. All right? So, would you stand with me just across this room uh, if you're able? I want us to be excited for today uh, and just kind of let's just do a double check on our hearts right now and our attitude and really just even kind of determine like, is there anything right now where I'm at where I, I'm just not ready for God to speak to me? I'm not ready to be challenged. And if that's the case, let's take the next 20 seconds here. And surrender that to God. So, God, we we come right now. Lord, uh, I know many of us have maybe read these passages before. Maybe we've studied them. Maybe this is the first time we've heard them. But, God, we want to be changed by you. We want to hear you speak to us. We want this to actually uh, challenge us. We want our lives to look different. God, we don't want this just to be something where we're going through the motions. So we just ask that, that you would be so present in this room right now, we ask this in your name. Amen. Alright, you can have a seat. So I want to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, but there's a lot in our passage for today, so I'm going to go through quickly uh, some of this. And, and not even kind of read this part. Acts Acts 1, 12 Jesus has ascended, he is gone. Kind of this like, now what? Alright, now it's probably like, if you've ever shown up for the first day of, of a job. Like a new job. You get shown to your desk or your workstation or wherever you're going... And they tell you a few, a few things real quick and then they walk away and you're like, holy cow, I'm on my own. What am I supposed to do? And you probably spend the first five minutes kind of like just pretending like you know what you're doing. And you're like, okay, I just need to fake it until I make it, all right? Like I'm just going to figure this out. Some jobs you don't have that opportunity, okay? Like as I'm scanning as I'm the room here, I see like Mike who's a dentist and I'm like, I don't want a dentist faking it until they make it, all right? That's not what I want. <laughs> I want them knowing which tooth has the problem. <laughs> But there's just, like, you kind of, you get into this new job, and you're like, what do I do? Or maybe you become a new parent, and you remember the first time, like, the doctors walked out of the room, and you're just stuck there with this human, and, and you are responsible for them somehow. And, and it's just, like, those moments where you're like, wow, what is going on? And, and this is kind of what I see with the disciples. Like, Jesus leaves, and they're like, oh, wait, like, he's gone. This is on us now. Alright, so what they do is they go back to the place where they were staying. They go upstairs. uh, Verse 14 in chapter 1 says this. Here are the names of those who are present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Alright, could you imagine being one of the twelve disciples and your name is Judas. You have the same name as the other guy in the twelve that just Almost ruined everything. Like the rest of your life, you introduce yourself as, Hi, my name is Judas. No, not that one. Like that's just like, okay. I just, every time I read this, I feel so bad for that guy. Okay. Goes on, says this, verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Constantly united together in prayer. I would say that's a pretty good way to start. If you don't know what to do and you feel lost, that's a good way to start. No doubt they were also spending large amounts of time uh, in the Scriptures looking for their place and kind of what they should be doing. right? Jesus had just gotten done, the 40 days after he rose, he had gotten done teaching them through the Scriptures and saying how everything pointed to him. So I'm sure in this time, they are constantly going back and being like, okay, that was mind-blowing what Jesus taught us. We need to go back and like... Make sure we understand that. And they're digging through that. They're looking in there. All right. Uh, and well, whether it's from Jesus showing this to them or they see it as they're digging in, they realize it is time to replace Judas. Twelve disciples were chosen because Jesus was using them as an example of restoring the twelve tribes of Israel. Right? It wasn't just like twelve is the best number. There is a purpose to that. And it's hard to represent twelve tribes with eleven guys. So they spend the next few verses in the chapter kind of doing this. Uh, and this is important because what we see here is the start of a theme that is nonstop in the book of Acts. And, and we would be making a mistake if we miss this theme. Like I want you every week after this to kind of be thinking through this lens even a little bit. Uh, and what that is is this. Like when terrible things happen, like Judas's betrayal when tragedies strike, when things seem to kind of blow up and not go the way that you think it should, God's plans are still moving forward. All right? And they are not derailed by what we think are unexpected situations. Okay, so realize that in your life as well. Like, when crazy things happen, God's plans are still going forward. Now, this doesn't always mean that He even created that situation. But it means that His ultimate plans will not be stopped, cannot be stopped. All right, and this shows up time and time again, and it's something that we need to kind of learn and adopt into our lives as well. Uh, but even as we're, as we're going through the book of Acts, uh, and then just as we are, are, are living this out, we need to understand that, that this does not derail God's plan. So Judas betrays Jesus, Judas dies, but God's plan will move forward. So they go through this process, they choose a few men, uh, and then they see it as God basically makes the ultimate decision Uh, In this situation. And this brings us to the first big thing to happen to the disciples after Jesus had left. Acts 2. It's Pentecost. Alright, so this would have been the festival of weeks or Shabbat, which is a Hebrew for weeks. Pentecost is the Greek name, which just means like 50, 50 days. Alright, so uh, Shabbat celebrated the day that God gave the Torah to the Israelites. Alright, and they were commanded to travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate... This festival. So this is all happening about 49 or 50 days after Passover, Easter, uh, things like that. Now, 400 years earlier or so, Israel was broken into two countries. You had Israel and you had Judah. And then those countries, they are not following God. And you have other nations, Syria and Babylon, that come in and they destroy those countries. They take them over and they, they take captive Everybody and and they bring them to other places all over. All right, so God's people that were once like together in this one place, this one group, are now spread out all over the place. All right, they're taken into captivity, then they slowly come back. And some didn't come back, some just kind of stayed where they were, some moved to new places. So this resulted in the Jewish people being all over, all right, not just in one country anymore. And when festivals and celebrations like this happened, you had Jews who were traveling back from all over to celebrate this. All right, so that's kind of the picture that we have here at Pentecost. So at this time, the city would be larger than normal. It would have swelled with all these people coming in. Like I think back even, uh, man, I used to go down to St. Paul for like the state hockey tournament. And you go into that area, or you go down there during like the state fair. You go to these times where you have people traveling from all over for something. And it's just crazy. And you're like, why did I come down here? You know, and the worst is when you actually like are in that area and you're not even there for that purpose. And you're like, it's just ruining my life. And like, so you can just imagine Jerusalem is just swelling with all these people. And they're from all over. And this has been generations that they've been removed in, in other countries. So they are speaking different languages. They now have different cultures that they are bringing together. All right, so all this is going on. Uh, what better time for God to start this new plan than when all these people are coming back together. Because then they can spread, they can take it back with them to their homes. So God starts his plan here, and there are a few key things for us to see, uh, to realize, to draw parallels between, uh, and there isn't really a great order to do this in. So I'm going to read through this chunk, this Pentecost, uh, and then I want us to just kind of walk through a few of these verses, all right? So it says this, Acts 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. "'Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers.' They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, (laughs) I know that one, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. All right, so all these different places, and some of them, like, we still know. Uh, some of them, we don't know these areas as much, like, just, we aren't taught it in history, all right? So I want to show this. Uh, here, all these different languages are represented. Here's a map of the different countries that were listed. All right, and this is where people are coming from, and they're all coming back to Jerusalem. All right, and what this would be in our modern day map, all right, we would know these areas as Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Syria, Israel, Palestine, Turkey, Egypt, Libya, Italy, Crete, Greece, Saudi Arabia. Like all of these areas, you have people traveling back, all these cultures, all these languages. all right, and God wants to speak to them, and he decides to use ordinary people to do it. All right, now something for us to note here is this. Sometimes God's, God brings people to us so that we can reach them. All right, that, that happens at times. The former superintendent of the Minnesota Assembly of God, that's our denomination, used to always say that he, he fasted and prayed for Muslim people for the last 30 years. And over that time, God began to bring Muslim people right here to us in Minnesota and answer that prayer. Like, I always loved hearing his outlook on this. Because we all know, even sitting in this room, that there might be a lot of different outlooks on some of these things. And I'm going to challenge you and say, we need to look through the lens of what God is doing in our world. All right, And it's amazing, the heart of God is, is to bring nations together and working through them for the benefit of each other. All right, another thing to note is this, when those people came in the book of Acts, God could have done one of two miracles here to accomplish what he wanted to do. He could have made the foreigners miraculously understand a language that they didn't know. Peter could have gotten up and preached, and he could have instead opened their ears to understand what was being said. All right, And don't miss this. I think this is big. But that's not what he did. When presented with these options, God instead chose to stretch his people, change his people, challenge his people to reach the outsiders right where they were at. He didn't change them, he changed his people to reach them. And I I think that's amazing. When we reach cross culturally, it is important that we are willing to change and meet them where they are. All right? I love this. All right, so I want us to see a parallel here of what God is doing uh, in regards to his big plans. God is often going back and fixing things from way back. Things that we have screwed up, that's what we see in this new creation. That's what we'll see through the rest of the Bible here, that God is going back and trying to set things right. All right? So I want us to think about this. Why are there so many languages? All right, obviously lots of countries were represented. We just said that. But, like, think about, like, why were there different languages to begin with? Well, back in Genesis chapter 11, we have a story that shares this. It's called the Tower of Babel. Maybe you've heard this story. Essentially, a few generations following the flood, a group moved out into the plains. They started a new city. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to sort of take their future into their own hands and build something that would make them uh, on the same level with the gods is kind of essentially what their mindset was. They wanted to go their own way. And God decided that if he left this unchecked, that it would be damaging, that this would actually hurt them. In the long run. So for their sake, for their own good, he intervened. And what he did was he took this one shared language, this universal language, and turned it into more. And pretty soon people were speaking different languages. They weren't able to finish this big marvelous plan that they had come up with. uh, And it was just done. So God wanted one language. That's how this started. That's how he wanted it. uh, He wanted to be connected with them. But for their own good, he separated them. And what happened on the day of Pentecost in this new creation where God is making things new or really making things like how it was meant to be, he breaks down this language barrier and he brings people back together again. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Pentecost through this lens that this is a reverse of Babel. This is what God is doing. He's bringing it back to where it's supposed to be. And it's an amazing thing that we see just for a moment. For one moment... God's kingdom is breaking into the kingdom of earth. That, that's what's happening here. And you had Jews spread all over the world, or as much as you could be back then, and they physically are coming back together, and God takes this op- opportunity to reunite the languages as well. And one last thing for us to pull out of this passage, uh, and then we're going to move into just applying this for us. And this last one's really important. Verse 2 and 3, all right, it said this, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. All right? That must have been a sight. That must have been an experience. Like, I can honestly say I've never, like been in the church, and wind has come crashing through, and fire is popping up above people because I'm pretty sure people will be grabbing the fire extinguisher, and people would just be coated, and you wouldn't know what's going on. Like just imagine this, this moment here, and it seems, seems wild to us, but when we, we understand what Luke is doing here, the author of the book of Acts, uh, and, and what God is doing here, and what happened, it changes everything for us. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's presence being described in some different ways. When God first introduced uh, himself to his people in a tangible way, it's in Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments, and he descends onto Mount Sinai in front of the Israelites, and there's all this smoke that is billowing up because God has shown up in the form of fire. And God had told Moses to mark off a clear boundary where no one was supposed to approach the mountain and be in his presence or they would die. And it was terrifying. In fact, uh, when it came time for the Israelites to approach God, they were also terrified that they, they said, Moses, can you just do this? Like, we don't want to. Can you, just, can you be our representative and can you go and talk to God for us? All right? Um, and so they didn't want to approach God. So he gave a way for him to approach them. He gave instructions for them to build what was called a tabernacle or a dwelling place for him. Tabernacle actually means dwell. When they finished building the tabernacle, it says, a cloud descended and covered the tabernacle. God's glory filled the temple. And he would lead them like a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire at night. So again, what we're doing here is we're seeing this this is God's presence being described at varying times in this big story. And then Leviticus 9, we have the start of the priests, and they create a burnt offering, a sacrifice for God, and God's presence comes forward in fire and consumes it. This is front of the, in front of the entire community, a larger gathering. So now God's presence is being experienced by more people, but he doesn't want a kingdom with priests. God wants a kingdom of priests. God wants to have a relationship with everybody. He wants everyone to experience this. So last place in, in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7. Solomon builds the temple that will replace the tabernacle, and when it's finished, fire flashes down, burns the sacrifice, and God's presence fills the temple. And there might be other spots that you can even, right now, begin to think of, like, when God's presence is described, where you've seen it. There's, there's spots in, in Psalms that talk about him being described as uh, on the wings of, of the wind. Alright, and, and in Job, God answered him out of a whirlwind. All right, like, so the point is wind and fire is how God's presence has been shown. Then the temple's destroyed when they go into captivity. And they come back and they build a new temple. And when they build the new temple, there's no spot that actually talks about God's presence filling that new temple. Like it's actually a really sad thing that like they went through building this big thing, God's presence. I'm not saying I don't know if God's presence was there or not, but we do not see God's presence entering it in the same way. So where's God's presence? And then we have Jesus, who comes on the scene. And in John 1:14 says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or made his home among us. And this that right there, that's actually the word for tabernacle. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. Like, I think what's happening here in John is John is trying to get us to see this. Like, okay, remember all of those places of God's presence? They now reside in Jesus. Jesus is God's presence in one person. Then he leaves, and he sends the Holy Spirit, and this is where we see Acts 2. All right, and don't miss the fact that every one of the disciples that were in the upper room, every person who read this story, like, they, they understood what this meant, a rush of wind, And the tongues of fire. The disciples, Jesus' followers, that were baptized in the Holy Spirit were now the temples of God. They are now these individual, walking, talking temples. And it's this amazing visual. His presence was with them, inside of them, the way that he always wanted it. God and man reunited again. These believers, they, they were God's temple. And Luke spends time in the book of Acts showing that this new church, these new temples, were now actually fulfilling many of the responsibilities that the Jewish temple was supposed to be doing, but wasn't. That, that's part of the beginning of Acts here. Luke lays this out. We don't always see this, but he is showing them taking care of certain people, doing certain things in a way that the temple was supposed to, and they weren't. So, we see this massive shift in scripture where now we are that temple. All right, and when we can understand the significance of this and the weight of this, I think we can actually start to make sense of some crazy stories like what happens in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. All right, two of Jesus' followers, part of the early community, they sell some land and then they agree hey, Let's not give all the money, but let's say that we're giving all the money. So they go to Peter and they say, here's the money from the land. Actually, Ananias does that. And Peter can see through this. It's not just that Peter sees through it. It's that the Spirit is is working through Peter. And this moment, we see Ananias drop over dead. And then his wife comes in and they're like, is this how much you sold the land for? And then she lies. She lies. And she drops over dead. And at face value, you're like, I have lied in my life more than once. Why did they drop over dead? Why am I not dropping over? Like, I mean, could you imagine how honest of a culture we would have if when you lied, you just died? It'd be crazy. But when we understand, that what, what God is doing here, what the Spirit is doing, is that they are the temple. And we can think back to stories in the Old Testament when people approached the temple incorrectly. When they went about it their own ways instead of following what God had for them, they died. When people approached God's presence in the wrong way. Like there was this holiness that was there. And, and we don't really always understand that nowadays. But what, what's happening here is God is saying, you need to understand the weight, the responsibility, the importance of you being my dwelling place. And that absolutely happens in Acts 5. Because it says people were terrified. But it also says they had great respect. And they, 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 they longed for like this community, but they were kind of at the same time like terrified of joining this community because it was like, Wow, to join that, to join that, to have God's presence in me, is a big responsibility. I don't think we carry that same weight anymore, and I think that's that's a mistake for us to understand what that holiness means. We can also see what God's presence can do through them as well. Peter gets up and preaches to thousands of people, and he does it boldly and eloquently. This is the same Peter who chapters earlier was terrified and denied even knowing Jesus to a curious 12-year-old girl. All right, The same Peter who was notorious for putting his foot in his mouth. And in the following chapters, we see the Spirit of God uh, in the apostles, and people are healed in some of the ways that Jesus healed people. We see other followers of Jesus uh, have a baptism in the Holy Spirit experience as well. We don't see the wind and fire again, but we see the speaking in other languages. We see this idea of a new community fulfilling the roles that the temple was supposed to be fulfilling, but was failing to do so. The old temple was broken. Men had segregated it. Only certain people had access to it and to different parts of it. God wasn't accessible to his people, and that's not what he wanted. And this, all part of, this is all part of the new creation. This is the new world that is opened to the followers of Jesus. God is accessible to all of them. Jesus has told his followers they could do the same works and even greater things than him. That's a tall order considering what Jesus did. But that is the possibility of this new world that he has opened up. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want to bring this together for us. I want to acknowledge that this passage can be difficult. This passage has caused contention in God's church in the way that we apply it to us today. All right? Our church, River of Life Church, is part of the Assemblies of God Fellowship, which is a Pentecostal fellowship. Uh, and this passage is where that name comes from, Pentecost. All right, and here's what it means for us. We believe that the Holy Spirit still moves in God's people today like it did in the book of Acts. We don't always see it in the same way and that can be a whole different discussion. And we don't always understand it. We believe that our God can and does still work in miraculous ways. We believe that the Holy Spirit can still empower believers, embolden them and and work through us. And we see this through what we see in Acts with this baptism in the Holy Spirit but i know that that isn't necessarily the place that everyone in the room is at all right like i just i want to acknowledge that this morning as we move through this okay and regardless on where you fall in this i think that this passage still has some really good challenging stuff that all of us regardless of where you fall in this can agree on all right god was obviously communicating something on the day of pentecost we are now the place that his spirit dwells we are to be many walking And talking temples. In the old testament, the temple is the place that people went to encounter God's presence. All right. So here's here's where what I want for us today. When people interact with you, do they feel God's presence? When people interact with you in your life, at work, at the grocery store. In your home, because let's be honest, lots of times the rest of the world gets our best, and we come home to family and we're most comfortable there, and we know them best, and too often our family gets our worst. When people interact with you, would it be a similar experience to someone in the Old Testament going to the temple and being in the presence of God? I mean there's a bunch of people that and I'm going to say that they they call themselves Christians but that and some of them are and I just I don't even I don't even like being around them. Like I don't even want to be in their presence. I don't even feel like just a good person presence let alone the presence of God when I spend time with them. And I know that there are times where people are around me and they walk away and they are not walking away being like wow Something was different about that interaction. Like, think about how heavy of a question this is. God's presence isn't kept in a special room. It doesn't stay here in this room. And I don't think that this is where his presence, like, is is kept. And you come to church and you get a refill of God's presence and then you go. Like, the church is not a gas station with deep reserves of God's presence. Where you come in, you're filled, and you leave. Do you want to know why God's presence is here today? Because you are here today. Because God's presence resides in His followers. Where two or three are gathered, I will be. It's like I, I think we have the we get this wrong idea of coming into this like special room and and this is where God is. So okay, I'm I'm I need His presence and then I can take it with me, but. If my week starts getting tough, I better come back to this room. I've had times where people have shown up throughout the week and I let it happen. So I'm like, oh yeah, you want to go pray? That's great. But like, I always kind of stop and wonder, like, what, what's the thought process here? Some of that could be fine, some of it, it might not be healthy. And then we bring God's presence back out into this world. So I want to challenge all of us. Are, are you going after God? Are you... Pursuing God? Are you walking in relationship with Him and in connection with Him in a way where others feel God's presence when they are with you? I want to live my life the way the apostles lived. I want to interact with people the way that they did. And whether you are Pentecostal or not, no matter where you fall in this, are you going after God and growing in God and looking for more and more of God? like they were on the day of Pentecost. So my challenge today is not necessarily to be like, you must believe the way that I believe. My challenge, and I think that this actually will take care of many other things, is just, what does your pursuit of God look like? Because I've met people who are Pentecostal, and they're like, well, I've, I've gone after God, and I wanted this, and it hasn't happened, and... And I'm like, okay, well, are you going after God? Are you pursuing God? We don't understand God's timing. We don't understand God in in all these different ways. And that can be a difficult thing. Are you pursuing God? Are you going after him? Because I think we can all agree that we should be bringing hope and light to the world like they did on the day of Pentecost. All right, so I want to challenge our church to go after God like you never have before, to seek his spirit to seek understanding, to devote yourself to prayer, to ask God to fill you up with his Holy Spirit so that your life overflows with that Spirit and with his love. You have an opportunity to bring God to people that are far from him. When the Holy Spirit is present in your life and you are present in their life, then God is present in their life. So this is what I want. Live your life in such deep pursuit of god's spirit that others can't help but want more of god because of your presence in their life that because of your friendship your relationship with them they walk away saying i want more of whatever it is that they have that that's how we are called to live that's how we are called to live So I want to do this just in closing today. Would you stand with me just across the room? I love that tonight we have an opportunity to go after God. I mean, we have an opportunity to go after God every second of every day. But I think for some people, we, we get so caught up in what's going on in our life and all the things that are expected of us, And even Sunday morning, like I don't get me wrong, I love Sunday morning, I do. But even as I'm preaching here, I'm sitting here, and I just watched the clock turn from 11:22 to 11:23, and there's this thing inside of me that is like, hurry up, get done. People have lunch; they have places to go. And at times, I I think it's it's okay for us to have a, a time frame. I think it's okay for us to say, okay. At other times, I need to slow down. I need to not look at my watch, not look at the clock. But right now, I want—I want each of us just to kind of find the spot. Like, where are you at? What does your pursuit of God look like? And this is not a meant to be a theological question or a doctrinal question. This is about, like, are you wanting more of God? Because I'm pretty sure we all believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, is present. And we may at times have different thoughts, different beliefs on what that looks like. But none of that, none of that changes how we are called to pursue God. I think when you pursue God, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. The more the people around you do it, the more you want to do it. Like it just becomes this contagious thing. God, I pray that, Lord, that this would not be something where we are just checking boxes, where it's something where where we just think, I I need to do this in order to uh, have the life, have the eternity that I want or anything like that. Lord, there's so much more in the right here, right now that you have for us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here Lord that your spirit would fill every single one of us God that we would be this dwelling place for your presence God that there would be an abundance an overflow of this that as we go into the world as we interact with people that that they would just know something is different about them God, that because of our relationship with them, Lord, that they would begin to see you. They would begin to desire more of you. God, I pray for our interactions this week. Right now, you know every single one of them. We can pull out our calendar and we have a rough idea, but God, you know every single interaction that's gonna happen here. God, and I pray that you just would prepare us for those that, like your word says, that you would give us the words to say in those moments. God, and I just pray for an outpouring of your spirit on our church, on the other churches in town. God, that we'd be able to make a difference. If you're here and, and maybe you You've never made a decision to to want to follow Jesus, to, to actually want this to be a major part of your life. There's a connect card that's in your row. Maybe you already turned it in. There's a bunch of them around. We want to walk with you in that. We want to give you the tools and the resources and the relationships. And we want to pray for you. All of those things. And... But we feel like right now is just the best way for us to actually do that on a Sunday morning. If you check that box, we want to get in contact with you. We've done times where people raise their hands, things like that, but the reality is, is it too often that goes without follow-up, that goes without accountability, that goes without someone actually helping. And we want to be there with you. We want to help answer whatever questions we can and sometimes just sit with you in the questions that, are too big for us to know. But if that's where you're at, I want you to check that box. You can drop it in the box as you're leaving today and we'll just get in contact with you. Otherwise, I just quickly want to to just pray a blessing over us and I want each one of us to just be in this spot, even just what I was just saying, that that would be your prayer for your life this week as you go and you interact with people. God give us a sensitive heart. Give us ears to listen. Give us your words, not ours. God that your love would shine through. God and we are believing that even this week, even today that there'd be relationships that would grow because of our our passion, our excitement, our desire for you and our pursuit of you. That would spill out onto anybody that we come in contact with. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen.